Hey everybody, and welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast, your one-stop shop for spooky stories, handcrafted cocktails, and all things true crime. I'm your host, Bree. And I am your other host, Suze. I'm also the resident bartender here at Crime and Spirits. Because not only do we bring you a new case or topic of interest every week, but we also teach you a little something about mixology along the way. I mix up a drink that ties in in some way with our theme for the week and then walk you through how to make one for yourself so you can sip right along with us. We've been friends for years and one of our favorite things to do is mix up something delicious and throw on a true crime documentary, which is basically what this podcast has become. It is, however, better research than that. We promise. Cross our hearts. (laughs) We also have a script written out that we mostly follow. Mostly. Still, you can expect some tangents here and there. We also managed to find a way to mention criminal minds at least once, if not multiple times, per episode. You gotta give Dr. Spencer Reed all the love. Yes, girl. And you also can't forget the cursing, because we definitely curse on this show. We try to keep things a little bit more conversational. Think less like Dateline and more like Girls' Night. Just replace the catty gossip with actual facts. And maybe just a little catty gossip. So come hang out with us, learn a little something with us every Sunday, and make sure to join us on Instagram or Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. That is the word and. We'd love to chat with you about, I mean, whatever, really, but mostly true crime. So buckle up, buttercups. Sip tight. And let's get on with the show. Hey there, lovelies. Welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We are your hosts. My name is Bree. And I'm Suze. And we are just back at you with another week. We had a fun weekend. We did. We went to our favorite local magical goods store, Cauldron and Thorn. The new moon ritual. Yes. Which means crafts, which I loved. I'm super excited that that's going to be like a craft night. Mm-hmm. It's all I've I wish I could knit. Life. I saw a lot of people crocheting and knitting. Um, that, however, I have enough on my plate without learning how to crochet or knit. <laughs> yeah, let's not. <laughs> so I did paper crafts, but you give me a glue stick and some fun stuff. They had like old book pages and stuff. Yeah. I was loving it. I'm super excited. It was a lot of fun. It's a really cool vibe and community they're going there. So a great start to the new moon. Mm-hmm. I picked up some new incense that we're burning today. It's like a new year, new manifestation blend. Loving it. So we are ready to get started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been a trial to get here. Oh, my God. You guys have no idea. So many technical <laughs> difficulties thus far. Yeah. It has been a journey today. But... I'm excited to be here. I enjoy talking about the case that we're talking about Mm -hmm. this week, and I think you guys will enjoy it also. This was another one that I was like, what? (laughs) So, doing the research was interesting because literally it was all brand new to me. I love it. Mm -hmm. So... Without further ado, this week we are going to discuss the Cassie, the murder of Cassie Joe Stoddard. So back in 2006, two of Cassie's friends decided that they wanted to kill Cassie for seemingly no reason at all. Well, I mean, they technically did have one. Not they, a good one. <laughs> they wanted to be like Scream. Are you guys sensing a theme here? Mm-hmm. Also accidental, because I did not realize that the new Scream movie was going to come out soon. Yeah. The trailer was just released. I did the research for the last case, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, there's more. There's yep. more movies. I thought a, a Scream movie just came out. It did, not that long ago. Oh. I'm here okay. for it. I love it. Scream I my stopped favorite. after the second one, I think, so. We're having movie night with my mother-in-law and my brother-in-law and his girlfriend this Friday. I think you're, are you coming over? I'm going to try my hardest, yeah. but I've got work Friday's and then I have to night. be in Pittsburgh the next morning and oh, yeah. we'll see how it goes. No worries. It's going to be two installments, so 
You'll just miss the first couple. So Heard that. Those I've seen already. <laughs> so, cases like this, there is... It's literal children just behaving like full-blown psychopaths. And these are always a little tough, but I do find them incredibly fascinating. Because these guys have an arrogance to them, unlike I've ever seen in somebody who is like a 16-year-old. 16. It's wild. I felt like barely a person at 16, so I don't right. know how these people are coming up with plans like this. Fully formed and like realized ideas and fantasies and then putting those into action. like In terrifying ways. Buckle up, guys, because it's about to be wild. So as per usual, we like to warn you ahead of time. There isn't that much to warn you about other than the normal murder and mayhem kind of stuff. There is a brief mention of suicide. Um, most of our discussion will be regarding the build-up to and the aftermath of the murder itself. We will, of course, talk about the details of what happened to Cassie because that is an important part of it. Absolutely. Um, the perpetrators really tried to set up something out of a horror movie, so just a heads up, the killing was a lot. It was very violent yes. bloody. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've joined us before, you already know that we try to give you guys the facts without unnecessary gore. Sometimes it just happens because yeah. it's necessary you know, to the tale. Um, we go into the creation of this podcast with the best of intentions and nothing but respect for the victims and the families of all of those people involved. This podcast is just literally what we enjoy doing together. We're just mixing up a delicious drink. We're settling in for like a documentary or just having a great conversation while diving into the minds of some psychopaths. And boy, do we have some psychopaths Talk on the docket for real for you today. So if you like what you are about to hear, please make sure that you're following us on social media. Stick around at the end. We'll make sure that you guys get all of that information. So now that we have the business out of the way, let's get into the drink making. Yeah. So again, like I said, we're talking about heinous murder. <laughs> this one's particularly awful because it is actual children that are involved. So the drink this week doesn't have anything to do with the event itself. It just made me feel really ick. Yeah. So, like we've done in the past, we're going to base the drink off of the location of the crime. It happened in Idaho. I know nothing about Idaho, so Google is my best friend. (laughs) Um, I Google Idaho and what people like to drink in Idaho because, again, I know it's somewhere in the middle of the country. Right. That's all I know. It's a boot shape. Yeah, and that some shit is going down there right now. Yes. But other than that. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if we're completely honest, I really have no fucking idea what people like to drink in Idaho. So there wasn't a whole lot there for you? The top, the top result from my Google search was that Black Velvet is the specific oh, Canadian yeah. whiskey of choice. Uh, okay. The article specifically said, and it was from a, a news article from Idaho, it said, quote, it will get you through those long, cold winters, mm. end quote. And Checks honestly, out. I felt that to my core. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I, however, can't do black velvet. Mm. I had a friend who would always get us beers and shots of black velvet. And oh. my tummy just feels a little curdly <laughs> just, just thinking. thinking about <laughs> black velvet. So oh, no. we found this Canadian whiskey. It's called ET51. And I'm not going to lie. I literally bought it based on the bottle. That's Ask Bree. shocking. It's this creepy, like, skeleton slash alien kind of, like, vibey thing. Creepy is the perfect way to describe it. But it's so cool that I was like, what? Is cool. I want to just have it. Well, the best part <clears throat> was taking off, like, whatever was covering the 
the cap of it, the if you stopper, will. Yeah. yeah. And it turned out to be like a rubber alien head it's rather than a rubber. terrifying skull. But... And I think I thought in my head it, it's supposed to look like a skeleton because you can see like ribs and arms yeah. and legs and bones and 1000%. stuff. But it literally looks like an alien, a rubber alien head. Somebody just dropped the ball and like designed uh, the design department. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Yes. It's ugly. It's weird. I'd never heard of this before. It is a Canadian whiskey. Um, I don't know. I, I like it. I'm all about good advertising. <laughs> so this whiskey actually has a 51 um, ABV. That's 102 proof if you're keeping oh, score at okay. home. All right, so it's Zeus. got some kick in it. Um, for the description, I went to Drizzly, who described it as, quote, slow and buttery with full, rich tastes of honey and ripe pears with vanilla, hazelnut, and butterscotch notes. Oh. Shout out. Drizzly tells you all about it before you commit to purchasing it. So. Oh, yeah, because isn't Drizzly, like, the alcohol, alcohol delivery, delivery service? Has mm-hmm. gotten that yet? Not yet, but I'm oh, ever hopeful. Pennsylvania, get it together. I know. We have a lot of weird rules. Um. <laughs> So the drink that we're putting this into, because I've tried it on its own, it's good. It is a bit strengthy. Yeah, in my personal opinion. This this is a Collins. It's from the Collins family of cocktails. Which okay, I I didn't know there was a whole family. I didn't know that either. Right. So (laughs) again, I got on Google. Difford's guide says, "quote A Collins is basically a sour cocktail made using a base spirit, which is usually gin, lemon juice, sugar, and carbonated water." Served long over ice in the glass named after it. Collins glasses are tall and round and usually have a capacity of 12 to 16 ounces to their brim. I like the look of Collins glasses. Mm-hmm. What does long mean? Long, long means tall. Okay. I was like, why not just say tall? Right. Well, I know that, like, mixology has its own vocabulary, which someday we have plans maybe, like, down the road of doing a little, like, how-to definition kind of thing, but... I never, I don't think I've heard that one before. Me either, because again, I had to Google that. If <laughs> you ever have a question, I highly recommend Difford's Guide. They have literally okay. not only cocktail recipes, but like answers to your questions. Yeah. Like, what is a Tollins, Collins glass? <laughs> what like, is what, is, what is a long pour? Like, yeah. what is this, that, and the third? Okay. So I've made the Tom Collins before, which is the basic Collins. That's the one with gin. Since we have whiskey, we're making what is called a Captain Collins. Ooh, Captain Which is a Collins. Collins using Canadian whiskey. I love it. There are actually a ton of fun names um, that vary based on the spirit you're using. I like the Mike Collins, which is Irish whiskey, mm. and the Joe Collins, which is made with vodka. <laughs> There's a whole list of Collins, so it is literally a family Wow, it right? literally is. Wow. I, I was and unaware. there's a captain. There I is. love it. That, and that's what the name got me, Canadian Whiskey. We're checking some boxes here. I like here. it. Well, we've had this little bottle of liquor, honestly, for a while now. I bought it pre-Halloween, so yeah. it's been a few months now. And usually stuff that's funny or weird doesn't last very long right. around us. It's our so whole vibe. <laughs> we hadn't even cracked it open until no. today. I'm excited. So for our specific Captain Collins, you take the... ET51 whiskey, lemon juice, homemade simple syrup, and plain club soda. To start, fill your shaker with ice. Add one and a half ounces of the whiskey, one ounce of the lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of the simple syrup, and shake that mixture until thoroughly chilled. Next, strain your cocktail into your Collins glass. Ours is a dollar store sort of kind of Collins glass. (laughs) They're a little skinnier than what we've got, but I like the look of that one. Um, And then you can just top it with a splash or however much club soda you would like. 
we garnished it with a lemon wheel because we're fancy around here and then that is literally it it looks cool with the way that she made it it kind of looks layered i'm gonna mix up just a little bit to make sure i get the full effect here it is good oh i think that whiskey goes very well with the lemon the juice mm -hmm. like in it that's very prominent yeah that's good i think the lemon juice really brought that out of it you yes. know what i mean the tart and the sweet that's delicious. Yeah. Mm, That's a Captain Collins. A, who knew? Not me. No. I just learned this when I was writing up this little like, drink what background. What am I even going to do? <laughs> well, I was like, what What should I name it? And then I was like, oh, it already has a name. Huh. Even better. <laughs> wow. That is super interesting. Because this is another one. It's a classic cocktail, but this is just, I'm sure, a modernized twist on a classic cocktail. Like a variation mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. The more you know. The more you know. <laughs> All right, so we've got our drinks. We're getting ready. We're going to get into it. We're going to start with the background information on all of the main players here. So Cassie Jo Stoddard was born on December 21st, 1989, which makes me really sad because that's the same year I was born. That so we would have been the same age. So young. To think that she was killed, like, the same, like, I was in my junior year of high school the same year she was. Right. And I was like... It kind of really hit me when Too I was like writing home, it. Yeah, right? it was just it was just weird. She was the middle child of the family. She had two siblings. Christy was the eldest, clocking in at six years older than Cassie. Andrew was her younger brother, but they were much closer in age. He was only a year and a half younger. The family lived in Pocatello, Idaho. According to Andrew, the kids spent a good amount of time with their grandparents throughout their childhood. I didn't find a lot of background information. I tried to look into like his parents' history more. Mm -hmm. But there was there nothing. was nothing, yeah. And I checked. Uh, I had originally heard this case from the Killer Queens podcast, which you guys have heard me talk about before. But if you haven't yet and you haven't checked them out, they're fucking awesome. Go listen. <laughs> Go do it. They're really fun and they have a lot of '90s references, which is something I always appreciate. But um, they have a blog, so I checked their blog just to see if there was something maybe they had found that we just couldn't. Because they are a much more popular podcast, they probably have access to things. That I was we gonna say, or they can pay people to find it if they right. can't find it themselves. They were like, "It's there's nothing." Yeah. So I don't know why they were with their grandparents, but it didn't really matter because it seemed as if the family was full of love no matter what. And Cassie was just like your typical teenage girl. She had an artistic flair to her. She loved music and drawing. Andrew had similar interests, and the two were quite close. Cassie attended. Pe Pocatello High School, like I said, she was in her junior year at the time of her death. She was described by her brother to be headstrong at times, but generally speaking, she was his role model. Cassie was a smart girl. She was kind and ambitious. So I found this Reddit post, and I know you're not super familiar with Reddit, so they will do this thing called Ask Me Anything, like an AMA. Mm -hmm. This person posted, hey, I was in class with these people when this happened, ask me anything oh my. so I dove into the thread it wasn't yeah. super extensive but I I got some like interesting like inside information if you will and this person said quote Cassie was always very kind I remember her being nice enough to give me words of encouragement before our presentation they had a class together this person was very terrified to be public speaking mm -hmm. and she like took time to be like hey you know you got this and that really stuck out to them because they weren't, like, necessarily friends, but they had classes together. Right. And they went on to say that anyone who had known Cassie was deeply saddened by the news of her death. 
That, so. it's sad. It's also, I'm curious. I'm not 100% sure. We didn't look up, like, the dynamics of Pocatello High School and how many students were yeah. there. But, like, I graduated with, like, 120 kids. And see, I'm on the opposite spectrum. I graduated with at least a 550. Right. <sighs> there was too many. So, but it was, like, I knew almost everybody. <laughs> right. In my school. Not just in my graduating class, but, like, in my school. school. Yeah, so... That's so crazy to me. I, that had to have been so much better, though. I, feel. I mean, yeah. Yes and yes no. And I no. guess it probably mm-hmm. is a double-edged sword, the same. Yeah, no. Yeah. But I, I mean, hey, I would highly recommend it. <laughs> I do not recommend 550 right. students that's, in one class. That's just too many. How would you know anybody? It was yeah. two giant buildings, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't think I could do it. My very first day of high school, I had a class in the opposite building, so I didn't even get to, like, be anywhere near like my other friends <laughs> like it was a it was a mess Mm-mm. mcdowell what are you doing hated it <laughs> um so cassie had a boyfriend at the time his name was matt beckham he was friends with two guys named brian lee draper and tori michael adamzik i think it's adam kick adam kick that's what i i watched a video it's adam c-i-k i watched a video and the person did have um it seemed like a slight like english accent maybe mm-hmm. so maybe they were just mispronouncing it but that's how i've always heard it pronounced i just so. my last name has an extra f in it and people always mispronounce it so i'm <laughs> i apologize in advance yeah. but <laughs> that's how i'm reading it last names you never really know true that <laughs> um brian was born on march 21st 1990 growing up the kid had a stutter which of course led to brian being bullied a lot uh, he lived in Utah for a good portion of his childhood until he and his family made the move to Pocatello. Brian didn't have the easiest time making friends, but when he met Tori, the two instantly clicked and became besties. They shared a love for movies and film production. They even began recording themselves for practice. And yes, guys, this is foreshadowing. Dun, dun, dun. Keep it in mind. <laughs> Tori was born June 14th, 1990, in Pocatello and had grown up there. The two met Cassie in high school through her boyfriend, Matt, and almost immediately got to work on becoming friends with her. It wasn't terribly surprising, like we mentioned. Cassie had a magnetic personality, but in this case, in these two hoo-hahs case, (laughs) they had the very worst intentions. Absolutely. So it turns out, Brian and Tori not only loved movies, but they had a specific genre of interest. And for those of you playing along at home, if you guessed horror, you would be correct. I mean, I already know, but I would definitely have that on my bingo board. (laughs) Right, absolutely. Pictures from their bedroom show quite a collection of movies and collectibles. And honestly, if they weren't terrible people, I would be impressed as a horror lover myself. It's true. And my own collection of collectibles. Like, I was like, dang. Why, why did it have to look cool? I'm right. glad they don't get to enjoy it anymore. But So, unfortunately, this wasn't the only thing that they had in common. They also shared a dark and frankly gross desire to recreate the movie Scream. Torture and murder of their friends and all. Mm. And if you missed last week, the basic idea of Scream, if you haven't seen it, is that these two guys plot to torture a specific girl but by doing so they torture her and kill all of her friends one by one until they get to her well she has to either watch them or be a part of their sick game somehow yes in some way shape or form and i'm not going to give anything more disgusting onion layer to it all absolutely and so this is just 
on a whole other level of ick. So they get to plotting and they decide on a victim. And then they find out that said victim was going to be house-sitting in a somewhat remote area all alone for an entire weekend. There is video footage from September 21st, 2006, which was the day before the murder. This transcript excerpt took place around 8.30 that evening. Brian and Tori are in the car together. Tori is driving while Brian is recording. And Brian says, quote, We found our victim, and sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddard and her friends. We'll find out if she has friends over, if she's going to be alone in a big dark house out in the middle of nowhere. Ha ha ha. They laughed, like, hysterically at this. How perfect can you get? I mean, like, holy shit, dude. I just have, like, weird goosebumps and, like, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. It does get worse. It's better, folks. Because Tori's reply to that lovely little message was, I'm horny just thinking about it. And that's a direct fucking quote. I found the transcripts. It's true. It's gross. I saw bits and pieces in the articles that I read and the research that I did. But then Brie was like, oh, well, I found the whole transcript. And I was like, oh, dear God, it's going to get so much worse. I've also seen the videos because I, I mean, I available. I can't do it. Yeah. I couldn't do it because I would want to punch my television, mm-hmm. frankly. It adds that extra, like, that. onion layer of gross Horrificness. because, like, as the, you guys will see, there's just such an arrogance that, like, they're almost, undercurrent. like, like, high on, yes. on this plan, and it's... It's really Even creepy. just reading the words, I was like, oh, ew. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So oh, for I sure. can only imagine seeing it. <laughs> She's like, please do <laughs> All right, so they do go even further, and we're going to share some more of what they said with you. It's a bit much, but it really does speak to their mindset throughout all of this. Um, Brian, in response to the horny comment, hell yeah, so we're going to fucking kill her and her friends, and we're going to keep moving on. I heard some news about so-and-so, name was removed, redacted, if you will. (laughs) Um, She's going to be home alone from 6 to 7, so we might kill her and drive over to Cassie's thing and scare the shit out of them and kill them one by fucking one. Hell yeah. Mm. Then they discuss the semantics of uh, whether they are evil or just plain bad. If Satan is real or not, it got even weirder for another second. I really implore you if you are at all curious like it's worth the read because they literally go from talking about murder to like a philosophical conversation about god and the existence of satan and like all this stuff and i'm like what are you guys on an acid trip like that's what it reads like that's why i said i'm pretty sure they're just high on like the sheer joy of this craziness gross so Tori says, we're evil, that sounds even shittier. And Brian replies with, hey, we're not okay. Then we are six psychopaths who get their pleasure off killing other people. We're going to go down in history. We're going to be just like Scream, except real life terms. Ugh. Why? That's Why? exactly how they did it. Like, they were, they just spoke so, like, it was just such a casual It was, it was so matter of fact. There was yes. no room for discussion. It was just like, yeah, we're totes going to do this, and we're totes going to love it. And we like, love it. Because then Tori goes on to tell Brian that, quote, that sounds good, baby, which, what? <laughs> the conversation takes another weird turn when Brian says, and you guys listen up to this one, quote, we're going to be murderers. Like, let's see, Ted Bundy, like the Hillside Strangler, the Zodiac Killer. And 
Tori does not like those comparisons, saying that, quote, those people were more amateurs compared to what we are going to be. We're going to be more of higher sources of Ed Gein. Which, if you guys don't know anything about that, who? Their, their admiration of a man like him honestly just speaks volumes to what they are looking to as their idols. Like, this is what you're aspiring to be? A man also, who wears skin suits? To call Ted Bundy an amateur, I'm not I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm no. laughing because Ted Bundy got away with literal murder for, for years. Yes. <laughs> That's astounding that you would say something. Especially because look at who else they like. The Hillside Strangler, the Zodiac. Those are all other... All three of those cases are people who got away with just taking lives left, right, and sideways. The, and then you're going to cap it off with Gein? Ugh. <laughs> he grosses me out. It all kind of grosses me out, but like he like really grosses me out. I don't, there's a lot of things that I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. Ed Gein, I'm just like, ooh, no. Like, I'm no, fascinated, no. but like, I don't know. I don't know if I could do the research and mm. make it through. I really don't. Shyla has requested that one. Well. So, I mean, we're going to have to figure it's it on, out. It's on the list, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. but, buddy. We're gonna, I have to drink while I do the research <laughs> we're just gonna to get through it. work up to that one. <laughs> so... Another thing that's said in the video that I think speaks to their thought process with all of this, they go, quote, there should be no law against killing people. I know it's the wrong thing, but hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're gonna want to do it. Like, the whole theme of this video just seemed to be, like, their excitement. They truly could not wait to torture and kill their friends. And Tori grew up, like, in, in this Pocatello. town. Yeah. A lot of these people, like, again, I'm, I'm making an assumption, but, like, he probably knew a lot of these people. So, again, going back to my high school experience, if it was anything like Fairview, yeah. I went to preschool with everyone, and mm. then kindergarten, and then most of us graduated together. Yeah. Like. That makes sense. I've known all these people my whole life. Right. So that's just wild to me to be like. Like, this is fine. We're going to just totally kill normal. Shh. Whatever. Like, these are two teenagers that are just casually talking about murder as as if it's something insignificant. Like, they're going to go to the beach for the day or something. Right. (laughs) We're just making a picnic plan, not a murder plan. (laughs) It's honestly just astounding to, to listen to them talk like this. They are just so confident and sure of the fact that they are destined to be these great serial killers. It's absolutely unhinged. And, I mean... The end of the video really just seals the deal for me personally because Brian is quoted saying, murder is power, murder is freedom, goodbye. That's how he, like, signed off the video. Brian always had these weird, like, sign-offs. Uh, I didn't like it. They literally were making fucking movies. Like, th- that was their intention was to, like, uh, make uh, movies. I can't imagine. Mm. What? I don't like I have it. no words. <laughs> I can't even, like, form words other than I have no words. So, the next day at school, they decided to skip their fourth hour class so they can write up their plan. <clears throat> and naturally, if you're not sensing the pattern yet, <laughs> they recorded this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see on the footage that Brian and Tori are trying to be inconspicuous while making their death list. That's what they called it, their death list. Yeah, heavy air quotes, because that's 100% what they referred to it um, as. For later that night. At some point in the video, Brian says, quote, hopefully this will go smoothly and we can get our first kill done and then keep going, end quote. Mm. Tori responds with, quote, for you future serial killers watching this tape, I don't know what to say. Good luck with that. 
Hopefully you don't have like eight or nine failures like we have, end quote, which that's terrifying. Right. <laughs> they just sprinkle that into like the detail of the video. Um, Brian chimes in to add that they've, quote, probably tried maybe 10 times, but they've never been home alone. So as long as you're patient, you know, and we were patient and now we're getting paid off because our victim's home alone. So we got our, our plan all worked out now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cassie's family, but she had to be the one. We have to stick with this plan, and she's perfect, so she's going to die. She's perfect. What? Mm. What a great reason, guys. Literally, it seems like their basis was they knew what her plan was and that it was to be home alone. Yeah. And that was it. So that makes it perfect? I don't... I feel like that's got, that has to be it because, mm. like, they alluded, they didn't even allude to it. They straight up said that they've tried other times. And I read somewhere that their parents were home or their parents came home in the midst of them attempting to do it. Like, or, like, trying to, like, case the house or something. Like, I don't think any of the, I don't think they got far, far. at all in any of these instances. Otherwise, I feel oh. like we know. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> So, we're going to fast forward to the next day. It's Friday, September 22nd, 2006. Cassie Joe was at her aunt's house located on Whispering Cliffs Drive. Like I said, it's kind of in a remote area, if you will. She was mainly there to take care of the three cats and two dogs while her aunt's family was out of town. Now, Matt showed up around 6 that evening, but it wasn't until later that Brian and Tori arrived under the guise of, you know, wanting to hang out. They were... they were friends. <laughs> heavy air quotes. Ugh. The group was planning on watching a movie together, but Cassie gave everyone a tour of the home before they settled in. Mistake number one. Right. <laughs> and they started to, after the tour, settled in to watch Kill Bill Volume 2, which, good movie. But Brian and Tori left before it was over. They told Matt and Cassie that they wanted to catch a flick at the theater instead, so they take their leave. And now, the thing is, is, like, we know what their true intentions are, and of course, you know, they documented this time Because the these motherfuckers could just not put the camera away. No. Not well, they had to tape it for the future serial killers that would obviously look up to them. Mm. The Zodiac, Zodiac killer? Who's he? Yeah. Ted Bundy? Nobody knows, allegedly. I'm sure. <laughs> Oh, it makes me so mad. <laughs> so, Brian says, we are here in this car. The time is 9.50. Unfortunately, we have the grueling task of killing our two friends, and they are right in that house just down the street. And I hate, it makes me so angry that they're like, oh, it's unfortunate. We must do it. We have the grueling task. Like, no. you're being so dramatic. Mm -mm. Also, you put this task upon yourself? You are literally making this choice. What are you doing? Assholes. I do not understand. Tori chimes in to say that they had, quote, just talked to them. We were there for an hour. Brian interrupts him, saying we checked the whole house. We know there's lots of doors. There's lots of places to hide. I unlocked the back doors. It's all unlocked. Now we just got to wait. And, um, yep. We're really nervous right now, but you know, we're ready. And then they end the conversation. This is what also really gets me, because they just go from, like, murder to, we're going to listen to Pink Floyd. Okay, I love Pink Floyd, and I've never wanted to commit murder while listening to Pink Floyd. They're In like, fact, it is the opposite. I'm like, <laughs> let me just recline and relax. They literally are like, we're going to get hyped. <gasps> Stop and ruining Pink Floyd. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? They also... 
kind of went back and forth saying that they've quote unquote waited for this a long time. Oh, and here's one of my favorite sign-offs from Brian. He said, well, stay tuned. I say favorite with disdain. Creepy. All over my face. It's my creepy, horrible, not favorite. <laughs> um, so after initially leaving Matt and Cassie, the two dudes return to the neighborhood and park farther down the street, a little bit away from the house. They get out of the car and put on their costumes, which included, as it would, dark clothing, <laughs> gloves, and white painted masks, mm. which I did see a picture. It was like a creepy kabuki kind of mask. Yeah. I was like, I do not care for this. No, but it definitely <laughs> gives like that nod to Scream, which is just kind of like cementing their awful, awful right. like motive here. So they creep back to the property and they let themselves in the previously unlocked basement door. Their plan was to try and lure one or both, either Cassie or Matt, down to the basement. So Brian and Tori begin making loud noises to scare them, hoping that would work. It did not, because Mama, like they were Mama smart. didn't raise no fool to go down into a dark basement to investigate clinking right. noises. <laughs> um, their next idea was to find the circuit breaker and cut the power. According to Matt, this happened about 15 minutes after Brian and Tori initially left. Again, I think these two guys were just hoping it would force the couple, one or both of them, into the basement. Again, it didn't work. <laughs> so, uh, Brian and Tori turned the power back on. Which, they, I always found that detail so, like, so stupid, to be honest. Like, for what I purpose? Because you're like, oh, maybe it was just the wind or something. It's like fine. Like, to fuck with them No more? reason to investigate. Like, it's all good now. So, like, the adrenaline, like, calms down. down. You let your guard mm, down. That's, yeah. That makes sense. They are that sadistic, they are guys. Gross. In my humble opinion. <laughs> um, so, Brian and Tori were not totally unsuccessful in their endeavors because def- Cassie was definitely freaked the fuck out. She actually asked Matt to spend the night with her. And he, of course, had to ask his mom first, because, again, we're talking about 16, 17-year-old children. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget, guys. You know, you we don't have children. 16-year-olds staying at home. It might get a little weird. Right. So, of course, Matt's mom says no. But she did invite Cassie to stay at their place for the night. She, Cassie, being the responsible girl that she was, declined, citing that she had been hired to do a job. And she was going to do it. She was not going to abandon the cats and the dogs and just leave them, even if she was scared. I would have been so out. I, I admire her. I admire her her want to fulfill that responsibility. Me too. Because I would have been like, you know what? I'm coming with you, Matt. Yep. Can um, we bring the dogs and the cats? Can we pack them up too? Get I'll, the fuck out. How about a hotel room? Yep. Just get me the fuck Anywhere. out of here. <laughs> Um, so Matt's mom didn't actually arrive to pick him up until 1030. And in that time, Matt actually noticed and did recall for investigators, one of the dogs was acting a little strangely. The dog kept staring down the basement stairs and would sometimes just bark or growl seemingly at nothing. Matt said he, he didn't go down to investigate, but he couldn't see anything that the dog would be barking or growling at. Right. Like peering kind of down. So he was like, maybe the dog's just being crazy pants. Right. Also, while waiting for his mother, or possibly once he had been picked up, there's kind of conflicting stories, Matt had called Tori's cell phone. Interestingly enough, I watched this one video that kind of broke down their interrogations. 
um, and it showed the video of their interrogations. And Tori had said that he called Matt, but everything else in the court documents and everything says that Matt called Tori. But I just thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. Right. Especially since police, like, obviously would have cell phone records. Like, this right. was 2006. It's not like. 1906. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Either way, Matt and Tori are on the phone, and Matt wanted to see where he and Brian were at. He, and like, what they were up to. Matt would later say that he could barely hear what Tori was saying that he was whispering during the entire conversation. And Matt just assumed that this was because Brian and Tori were at the movies because that's what, what they, they said. said. That's what they said they were going to do. In reality, Tori was whispering because he and Brian were basically directly underneath Matt and Cassie and did not want to be found out. So the saddest part about this whole thing is that Matt unknowingly gave Brian and Tori the green light that they needed now they knew that Cassie was about to be alone alone. They were about to, or they were able to hear Matt leaving the house. So they knew exactly when to resume their attack. They tried cutting the power, again, hoping that Cassie would go downstairs and walk into their trap. Flash just to fuck with her, I this, feel. Yes. I think it was a little bit of both. Like right. I definitely think they were trying to scare her. But I also think that they wanted her to do... The work for them, right? Like, I, I truly like you believe come to us. that's what mm-hmm. they wanted. Yeah, I could see that. But none of this was working. So, with the house being shrouded in darkness and weapons in hand, Brian had a, da- a dagger-like knife, and Tori had a hunting knife. The two of them make their way upstairs. Cassie was laying on the couch, likely trying and failing to calm her nerves. Brian slams a door, breaking the still silence. And at this point, they don't really fuck around anymore. They just kind of walk over to Cassie and brutally attack her. Cassie was one strong one strong lady, and she put up one hell of a fight, but she was outnumbered and ultimately overpowered. Cassie was stabbed approximately 30 times throughout her chest, neck, back, and abdomen. According to some court documents, the autopsy later revealed that 11 or 12 of those wounds were considered potentially fatal, and they were done by the same knife, one of which was a serrated blade. The second knife inflicted only one part potentially fatal wound, and the other were non-fatal. That's still a lot of stab wounds. Absolutely, but I think it's interesting to see the dichotomy between the two. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see that kind of play out a little bit more, too. Yeah, I was just going to say, we're going to come back to that, unfortunately. <laughs> Put a pin in it for later. So, Brian and Tori, immediately after the attack, exit the house. And, yes, they did record their reaction because, of course, they fucking Why did. Why wouldn't they? This was their, like, shining moment. Um, it went like this because, again, we have the actual tapes. We have the transcripts. Um, so, Brian says, we just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. Tori responds with, I'm shaking. Brian says, I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body. It just disappeared. Dude, I just killed Cassie. Tori says, oh my God. Brian says, oh, oh fuck. That felt like it wasn't even real. I mean, it went by so fast. Tori says, shut the fuck up. We got to get our act straight. And Brian responds with, it's okay. Okay. We will just buy the movie tickets now. Which 
You didn't even buy the movie tickets before you committed the murder. You guys are going to be these great serial killers, like the stuff legends are made of, and you didn't buy your fucking movie tickets ahead of time. You didn't even go to the movie for Mm -hmm. at least ten minutes? Nope. Come on, guys. (laughs) Bad. This is ridiculous. Because, again, this will all come back to bite them in their collective asses. Mm Mm-hmm. So Matt tried calling Cassie around 1230 that same night and several times more, but he couldn't get a hold of her. Brian and Tori just went about their normal lives, no one the wiser that they had committed a murder over the weekend, least of all Matt, who had spent the following day hanging out with Tori for, like, the majority of the day. Gross. Literally the day after he stabbed his girlfriend to death. Gross. That's so fucked up. And then there was some sources that actually say that because they weren't able to kill Matt the previous night. Like initially. This was his, he wanted Matt to actually spend the night with him, like at his house, sleep over, and finish the job, if you will. Ew. Like, allegedly. Mm, I believe it, given what I know. (laughs) Right. Cassie's body wasn't found until her relatives came home two days later, which was Sunday evening. What makes this even worse, just another terrible onion layer to this whole awful story, Cassie's 13-year-old cousin was the one that found her. And it, yeah. It destroyed her. Yep. Absolutely. The whole family, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Because, again, like we said, this was very brutal. She put up a big fight, Mm -hmm. so... It was not... There was a lot happening. Yeah. It was a chaotic scene, Mm -hmm. I would imagine. Um, so the police arrive on scene almost immediately after Cassie is discovered. They begin their investigation. Initially, they didn't find all that much. They didn't even uh, recover a murder weapon. There were no signs of forced entry, and there wasn't a clear motive at all for the crime, because, like, as we said, Cassie was well-liked. She was very well-liked. Helpful. Yeah. Wasn't really one to, like, make enemies. I mean, like, the worst thing that I saw that somebody said was her brother said she was headstrong. Oh, how dare she. Right. (laughs) been called worse (laughs) like Um, today (laughs) right so as is procedure investigators turn to the person closest to the victim and or the last person to see the victim alive which in this case is one and the same cassie's boyfriend matt according to some sources matt didn't show a whole lot of emotion after being told that his girlfriend was just brutally murdered um per a former classmate of theirs he quote didn't seem as upset as you would think over what happened end quote Take that all with a grain of salt, because really, ain't nobody actually knows what's going on in your brain. Exactly. Sometimes it just short circuits rather than showing grief. Like, I get it. I understand that it's, like, the natural inclination to be like, well, why the fuck are you not devastated? But, like you just said, like, people show their grief in different ways. Absolutely. He, he might not even have processed what okay. was said to him until he was alone, you Again, know? this is a child. Literally He's 17, 16, 17, like... You're not a fully formed person no. at that point. Not even for like 10 more years, <laughs> <Right>. really. <laughs> so the same classmate goes on to say that it did come out later that Matt struggled with survivor's guilt and the depression and anxiety that go along with that. I mean, he tried to get his mom to let him stay with Cassie that night. Um, it turned out that his mom wanted to surprise Matt with the return of his father who had been away. If it wasn't for that, Matt probably would have been allowed to stay. And let's not forget that Brian and Tori made it 100% clear that he was also on their death list. Yeah. Um, he was definitely a target. So police still had to do their due diligence, and they interrogated Matt, which included giving him a polygraph test that he passed with flying colors. 
Um, this is how investigators initially learn that Brian and Tori were also with Cassie and Matt that night. So, police are like, next step, go talk to Tori and Brian. Um, they're initially interviewed by police on September 24th, 2006, during which both of them stuck to their story about going to the theater to see a movie. I couldn't imagine being Matt in, in this moment because to realize that he had dodged a literal bullet not once but twice within 20 like 48 hours absolutely and your your girlfriend suffered also trying to grapple with that huge loss right. you know what i mean like I that's just even... such a big gigantic horrible onion of yes. nonsense like I, I can't imagine and from what i understand he came out to say matt came out kind of talking about that for the first time in a documentary that like came out a couple years ago i can't remember the name that's what prompted that reddit post oh okay is that they saw the documentary and they're like i didn't really know this was like a like a thing yeah that people were interested in you know let's talk about it right it was a really interesting thread. I have the link to it, so I'm going to post it with our sources Absolutely. when we uh, publish the episode because I, I feel like it's just an interesting perspective. Everybody was really respectful. They were genuinely curious about, like, the just behaviors of people and, like, all that kind of stuff. Right. So I think it's worth the read if you're at all interested in, like, the humanity aspect of this. <laughs> now, Brian's first interview was not recorded in any way, seeing as he was not in custody at that point. The following Tuesday, which was September 26th, the officers bring in Brian for a second interview, which was recorded, and like I said earlier, you can find it on YouTube. I'll make sure that's linked for you guys as well. So Brian's parents were present, but they did not join him in the interrogation room. It was just Brian and two detectives. Brian was read his rights, and they began. I found this really interesting that the interrogators asked a bunch of open-ended questions, which, from what I understand, is kind of a tactic, and it gives Brian and or the suspect kind of the opportunity to feel like they're in control of the narrative. And it gives police the chance to see what the suspect may add, omit, alter, like, even timeline-wise, compared to what they already know. It's kind of like a litmus test, if you will, for how trustworthy the suspect is or isn't. Right. <laughs> Is not. <laughs> At this point in things, Brian is still claiming that he and Tori went to see a movie. Not the one they originally planned, mind you, but a different one called Pulse. <laughs> Police found it odd that he couldn't recall any part of the plot, nor could he relay mm. any details from the movie at all. Given that he's like a cinephile. Exactly. He should know and or care about those details. One of the detectives was like really going in on him about that. Because he's like, this is your thing, right? Like you love movies and this, that, and the third. And he's like, you didn't remember anything? He's like, just tell me what the plot is. And Brian was trying to like make some shit up. He's like, I went to go see the movie last night. Good. Yeah, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, snap. It's not often that I'm like, okay, police officer. Right? Like, like, I see you, sir. Like, okay. Um, Police had Brian write out a description of what he was claiming happened that night. And after some back and forth, the interview lasted, I think, like an hour and a half. The investigators forced Brian to pull out plan B. And what I mean by this is that police did not buy the movie excuse and had solid reason to believe that it was a lie. They got to a point in the questioning where detectives tell Brian that he should not underestimate what they already know. And this kind of pushes Brian to have... To resort to lie number two, 
which was very obviously already predetermined between Brian and Tori, that they weren't killing Cassie, but they weren't accounted, they couldn't be accounted for because they were going through cars, Mm. which means that they were trying to check for open cars so they could steal. Steal things. Oh. Also going not through, great. checking cars. And basically, like, Brian was like, well, we didn't want to say anything because a friend of ours told us that it's 12 or 10 years in jail. And the, I think the one detective was like, well, yeah, if you, like, steal the car, but, like, you steal a CD case or something, like, that's not exactly right. the same thing. Uh, <laughs> like, not the same. Ugh. So it took Brian until his third interview when he finally decided to try and own up to some semblance of the truth. According to some court documents, he admitted um, to leaving the door unlocked in the basement that they wanted to scare Cassie and Matt, and that once Matt left, they went upstairs, which is where Tori started to stab Cassie. Brian claimed that he thought it was a joke at first and didn't realize until later that she was actually being stabbed. Brian denied um, ever participating in the murder and basically said that Tori had threatened to kill him if he told anyone else the truth. So, at this point, Brian just breaks down. He agrees to show investigators where they attempted to get rid of anything tying them to the crime, which is a long list of things. Mm -hmm. Um, The list of evidence found includes, but is not limited to... A pack of matches. They call them stick matches, which I really enjoyed. Because I was like, isn't that a normal match? So, it wasn't books. It was (laughs) like a box. I personally enjoy using matches to light my candles and such, so I get it. They also found a pair of black boots and a pair of blue rubber gloves, in addition to a pair of fingerless gloves. There was a large dagger-type knife with a sheath, a silver and black-handled knife with a signature of Sloan written on the inside, a Sony videotape, which was ultimately restored and made playable, a black-handled serrated folding knife. Later, DNA testing showed that Cassie's blood was present on this knife. You remember the serrated knife is the one that did most of the uh, damage. The fatal ones, Mm -hmm. yeah. A partly burned piece of paper with writing in pencil. Like we said, partially burned. But they were able to discern some of the writing. And what was able to be read basically said that Cassie was going to be home alone and that they were going to kill her. There was one part that said, like, Brian's chasing Cassie and that basically if Matt came, he was also... to be killed. And this note is what, like, definitively took Matt, I believe, off of police's radar. Right. Because they're like, okay. Well, he wouldn't put himself... Surely he wouldn't put himself on the list. Right. You, I mean, you would think. But I can't blame... I couldn't blame police in this situation to be like, I'm not ruling anything else until we find something that's, like, definitive. Hey, at least they were being thorough. Yeah, you know? ex- exactly. We don't... I feel like we don't get to see that very often in cases, so I'll take what I can get. They additionally found some articles of clothing that ended up having Cassie's DNA on them. So basically, lock, stock, barrel. Y'all done fucked up. Mm-hmm. So Brian is officially arrested after that little field trip. Police interview him again on Thursday, September 28th, after he had spent a couple of nights in jail. He still was trying to pin everything on Tory, but police were really not having that. Per the court documents, quote, One of the officers asked whether he stabbed Cassie to keep Tori from turning on him. Brian nodded. He then admitted to stabbing her four times in the leg and chest. He went on to say that Tori told him, quote, you need to stab her, you need to stab her, end quote. And that after doing so, Tori stated, quote, it's not going to work. She has to die, end quote. 
That's creepy. You're a creepy person. Yeah. Like, I don't... I don't believe that Brian was passive in this Not at, at all. all. But I also wouldn't be surprised if, like, Tori took the lead. I could see that. I feel like he was definitely the more, like, dominant psychopathic, more so. They both were, but, like... I was like, mm, like yes. Like, that's... I just think that he was, like, a like A, a level notch, above. Like, ever a so notch. slightly. <laughs> like, a notch above. One notch above. Maybe where Brian was at on the level of Well, because I don't think if Tori would have been interviewed first, I don't know that Tori would have broken down. Yeah. Or, or maybe he would have in, like... Because... You know, it was interesting. I think the part of the reason why Brian maybe did is because during that video, obviously, you can see, like, the interrogations. And in one of them, the police officers were really hammering Brian. And they're like, listen, bro, in situations like this, somebody starts singing. You want to be the first one. Like, pretty much, like, they were more eloquent about it. But, like, they basically said, like... Do you you want to rat him out before he wraps you out, don't you? Right. And it took until that third interview. Like you want to get you like, want to get your story on the books first, mm-hmm. right? Because they actually kind of gave him that like, well, did you scare her? Like you guys just went back to scare, her, right? Like they right? gave him that. It, I, I, not it, it's those god dang videotapes. Well, they and they wanted. I think they just wanted a reason to place them there, right? To be oh, like, well. True. Well, you, you were there. You admitted so. to being there, right, literally moments before she died. Like, not not the smartest, if you will. That's putting it mildly. Yes. <laughs> now, Tori had the misfortune of having his second interview, not only conducted after Brian sang, but after police obtained physical evidence against them. The interview was similar to Brian's, except Tori went right to the car theft excuse, almost as if Brian was like, mm, you know, I had to kind of, had to pull this one out, bro. I had to say something. Right. So, police really focused their questions with Tori on what had supposedly happened after they were done checking cars. And Tori tries to play it off like they just went back to his house, except police have witnesses that saw the two of them at a local convenience store when Tori was trying to say he was at home. Hmm, weird. That was just not the case. Suspicious. Tori tried to explain this away by saying that they needed to pick up matches for Brian's cigarettes. Police get Tori to eventually admit that they went to Black Rock Canyon, which was where they hid all their shit they used for the murder. I don't quite remember how they finessed this out of him, but they got him to like be like, yeah, Brian and I were up there. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. And at this point, the detectives are like, all right, well, here's all the shit we found. And Tori conceded that it was his handwriting on the note, but, like, he wasn't really committing, like, to anything else. And police are just really putting the pressure on him to confess, but he asked for a lawyer, which was, like, the first smart thing he's done. The whole time. And it effectively ended the interview, but Tori did still get arrested that same day. As he should have been. He was literally on tape talking about how horny the stuff made him. It was so, really, like, mm-hmm. sad to see his parents. Like, his dad was in the... And his parents were in the interview that I saw. And, like, his dad was like, listen, bud, like, we're gonna, you know, figure this out. And, like, his parents were, like, devastated. But they still, like, the love they had for their son was just so, like, they wanted... I think they just desperately didn't want to believe that he was capable of doing something like which that. Which I don't... Which, I can't believe... I don't blame them for that right. optimism was, there. You know what I mean? It was just like, man, why do you guys have to show me that? Right? Like, yeah. Tugging at the heartstrings Honestly. There. So, uh, let's get into the trials. 
Both Brian and Tori were arrested on September 27, 2006. They were both charged with one count each of first-degree murder and one count each of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. They were charged as adults with a bond set at $1 million each. However, that does wind up getting revoked in light of, quote, new and substantial evidence, end quote. Whatever that means. <laughs> I couldn't find the specifics. It didn't, a lot of this case is like, there's so many different layers to it that it's hard to get to like one layer and figure out well, all the things. And I found like the legitimate court documents from like Brian's appeal. Yeah. And their initial trial, but it's just so much to sift through that I was like, I'm not going to waste that much more time also, trying I, to find. I cannot read legal documentees. None of it makes sense to me. Half of the words, I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, we're going to move forward. Hence right. With... Mm-hmm. Hence forth. <laughs> Um, So at any rate, they're both tried separately in 2007, and they each desperately tried to pin the murder on the other one. I just think of the Spider-Man that's like, you did it, like in the circle. (laughs) Literally that. Mm -hmm. Um, So according to Tori, he thought they were making a movie and didn't know what Brian was doing, so on and so forth. I'm sure Brian said something along the same lines. Brian said he was just going along with it. He didn't want Tori to kill him. Did you know that they were writing a movie? I feel like I read that, and I was like, that can't they be were, true. No, they were. They were writing a movie. They were writing a slasher. Guess who was supposed to star in it? Cassie. Uh-huh. Bastards. Yep. You suck the Isn't bitches. that so fucked? They're... Oh, it's so fucked up, guys. So you're like, they can't get any creepier, and yet... And then you're like, oh, so like... with this level of creep. Literally, like, oh, you thought you were making a movie, you dumb fuck? Like, uh... You lines. did. You did actually think that, but you still killed her. Like, right. You still actually went through it. That was part of your movie. Ugh. You douchebag. <laughs> I love it when Brie says stuff like douchebag. She really does. Uh, that's my word. Just kidding. I get so riled up. I literally said at work today, I was like, man, I'm super ready to record. I was like, I've just, I've been having, I've been in a mood the last couple of days. I haven't slept. Something might be going on with one of my cats, so I've been a little stressed out. And I literally was like, I, this case that we're covering, I get to talk so much shit about the people that were doing it because they're literal pieces of garbage, and I don't feel bad about it. They sure fuck are. <laughs> I think it's bad orange cat energy, because it's yeah. the orange cats that have lost their damn minds. Honestly. If anybody out there has an orange cat, what is up with these motherfuckers? Yeah, is yours being weird, too? Because I have questions. Same I'm getting days. concerned. But yeah, like, I, I'm very riled up. Because <laughs> these guys are douches. What they, they did was douchey. It was... Mm. It was just so awful. (laughs) Rude. So during the trials, the jury uh, in each case heard forensic testimony from two medical examiners regarding the stab wounds. The videotape was played for the jurors of each case, which just solidified the participation of both Brian and Tori. At one point, Brian admitted that he was inspired, which God fucking pisses me off. Another awful onion layer, guys. Yeah. he admitted that he was inspired by Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, which, if you don't know, those were the Columbine mass murderers. And also, really fucked really up. Really not in the great head. people. No. Um, while Tori says the same just regarding the Scream movies, the evidence in these cases, it was quite strong, obviously. It certainly didn't hurt that, in addition to the actual videotape that they had restored, they had Brian's confession in which he literally sang like a canary mm-hmm. to the police. Absolutely. 
I don't know what I think is worse, honestly. The fact that one of them was like, well, I wanted to emulate this fictional movie that is based off of a horrifying, awful, gruesome serial killer. Or that Brian was like, I look up to the Columbine shooters. I can't with that. (laughs) I, I can't wrap my brain around it. It makes me so sad that Eric Harrison and Dylan Klebold are basically, like, the poster children for, like, teenage psychopaths. Because well, it's also, not the first, like, I've heard this in other cases. It's true, it's true. And and literally from everything that we read and researched, these two boys, Brian and Tori, had a completely normal upbringing. Yeah. So what in your brain said, you know, this is what I want to yeah. do with my life? I don't even like to call them boys because, like, I feel like that almost, like... M- makes them more like juvenile like which they are kids but also like I think I called I think. them buttheads in my research because I could <laughs> at least once I couldn't say boys or guys yeah. or dudes because none feels... of that fit it no. felt awkward yeah. so I was like these buttheads it's just not I have a lot of sympathy for people who maybe have been young and have done something maybe that they didn't intend to do or they were in a situation where their back was up against the wall like this very clearly showed not only intent but like <sighs> joy and happiness at that intent oh my god Yes. Like an astonishingly ick level. I don't really like it. Ugh. Don't care for that at all. The one thing that, like, really truly stumped investigators throughout all of this was the apparent lack of motive. And while we've discussed it this entire time, you know, the prosecution still had to argue a motive. That's a key part in securing a conviction in these Especially kinds of cases. for people who are minors yes. at the time of said murder. Because even though they were being charged as an adult, I mean, they still had to make their case in a very definitive, no room for doubt kind of way. You can call it a slam dunk. They needed a slam they dunk. Did. They didn't need to fuck around with the details. Like, yes. And the thing is, is this case, they didn't have to, I don't feel. Um, the prosecution just simply argued that Brian and Tori murdered Cassie, quote, in an attempt to achieve fame in the same manner as the Columbine killers, end quote. And this checks out, especially once you listen to the part of the tape from September 21st, 2006. This was recorded approximately at 8.05. Brian said, we're going for a high death count, Tori goes plus we're not gonna get caught brian if we're going for guns we're just gonna end it we're just gonna grab the guns and get out of there and kill everybody and leave it's literally never how it works but okay this next like couple lines is what again it just kind of like puts things over the edge for me brian goes we're gonna make history we're gonna make history that's what was important to these fuckers like they wanted to make the history books in the most terrible of ways tori goes and here, this is just like the epitome, I think, this of their arrogance. This makes me want to shred my script into pieces, <laughs> into confetti, and then spit like, it on somebody. <laughs> That's quite an image you just Rage. Um, Tori says, for all you FBI agents watching this, uh, you weren't quick enough. Brian responds with, you weren't quick enough, and you weren't smart enough. And we're going over to Jane Doe." one's house redacted redacted we're gonna snoop around over there and try to see if she's home alone or not and if she's home alone splat she's dead why splat well right after that uh tori actually kind of admonishes him and is like hey 
don't put your humor into this. This is serious. And he's like, I'm not being humorous. I'm just saying, basically. And then they go into, like, another weird, like, deep prophesizing of Splat shit. makes me think of Nickelodeon, though. I know. I don't... Me too. But they were children in also. 2006, so like so that they fucking were makes sense. Oh, <laughs> like, God, no. you know what I mean? Like, Whew. it's just crazy to me. For all you FBI agents out there watching this, so they really truly thought they were gonna be like on that level that a Criminal Minds episode would be made about them. Please, girl, bye. I hate them. They resume recording. After this, because they get to their destination, and they see that Jane Doe is not home. So Brian picks up the recorder, and he says, We've already snooped around her house a couple times, and uh, she's not at home. So we're going to go to that church over there, and we're going to call a girl and a guy named Cassie and Matt. They're our friends, but we have to make sacrifices. So um, I feel tonight is the night, and I feel really weird and stuff. I feel like I want to kill somebody. I know that's not normal, but what the hell? And this just speaks to their mindset. Because Tori goes, I feel we need to break away from a normal life. Break away from normal life. What well, the pri- fuck is that supposed to mean? Prison will break you away from your normal <laughs> Jail life. Jail sounds great for that. <laughs> Here's your rice and cheese sandwich. Enjoy. Oh, that sounds terrible. And your dank-tasting Kool-Aid. <laughs> and these weird sandals you have to wear everywhere. None of them even match, I feel. It's just a random assortment of things that they're like, here you go. Yeah. (laughs) Here's your tub of things. (laughs) So, um, Brian is convicted on April 17th, 2007. Tori received his own conviction on June 8th of that same year. Sentencing for both of them took place on August 21st. They were sentenced to life in prison without parole for the murder charge and just as the little cherry on top they got 30 years to life each for the conspiracy charge they were not fucking around hmm. um in the following years which i found this part very interesting because apparently this is a big thing both brian and tori started going through the appeals process Brian was looking to have his conviction vacated or have his sentence changed to a limited life sentence that would allow for the possibility of parole at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, Each of their initial individual appeals is denied, however. Brian's conviction of the conspiracy charge was vacated. Apparently, allegedly, according to what I read, (laughs) jurors were given improper instructions regarding that charge. So, as we've learned before... Mm -hmm. Can't be doing that. Technicalities can fuck your day up, Mm -hmm. y'all. Right around that same time, uh, the Stoddart family actually filed a civil lawsuit against the Idaho School District, claiming that the school authorities were negligent... And should have been more aware of the potential threat that Brian and Tori both posed. Ultimately, this was dismissed by both the civil court and the Idaho Supreme Court, citing that their actions were not foreseeable, which, like we said, for all intents and purposes, yeah, they were normal kids on yeah. the outside. I don't think that they outwardly presented a threat. I really don't. It, at least from, obviously, we're not privileged to everything, but I mean, I, I feel for the family in the situation and I definitely think that they just wanted like some more somebody else to still be at fault I especially think. because again so these kids went to prison when they were 17 16 17 yeah. 18 they can appeal forever 
literally forever. Till the appeals process is done, which takes forever. It takes so long. Unless you decide to quit, which I don't think that they're going to. We're No, because literally, like, it just keeps going and going and going. Because even in 2015, Tori managed to secure a hearing for a post-conviction relief with a state magistrate judge. His complaint stated that the testimony from the character witnesses that his former attorney chose not to call, which I do... I. I don't appreciate lawyers who don't do their jobs. Even for a defense of this kind of person, like, that is your right. You deserve to have that. Right. This person literally called, like, one witness and then rested their case. Like, he just was like, no. And then apparently, like, the lawyer told Tori that the pros- he, that the lawyer was under the impression that the prosecution would submit even more damaging evidence was like his explanation for why he didn't call more witnesses like if i call more people they'll get to talk to them they'll say even worse things that, it yeah. will just be like a horrible flushing of the toilet type exactly. of thing but tori's argument was that had those witnesses had, had a chance to talk they could have potentially changed the outcome of his sentence. I like they might could. <laughs> well, and that's I mean honestly, you in, never this kind know, of, in these appeals processes, like those are the kinds of things where like, well, I don't, I didn't get that chance. I'm, and I know it sounds like splitting hairs down the center, mm-hmm. but stuff like this really does it. It makes a difference sometimes. It does. It absolutely does. So his de- that request got denied. He tried again in 2017. He was met with another denial. In January of 2018, Tory's defense team filed a writ of habeas corpus, which if you guys have listened to us from the beginning, you that's know that that's thing. the thing that, like, Scott Peterson's family was trying to do. is like, a special kind of appeal, from what I understand. And he was arguing that he should be entitled to new sentencing based on decisions from the U.S. Supreme Court and mandatory life sentences for juveniles. We will get into that a little bit more to explain what it's he means. It's very confusing, but it is very pertinent. Yeah. I think I, I think I figured out a way to, like, break it down that it it's... I was able to at least understand, like, the gist of it. Unfor- well, not unfortunately, really. This, too, got denied. He continues to appeal. The most recent denial took place March 24th of 2022, which was less than a year ago as of this recording. So... And when I was typing out the research, I was like, oh, it's happening in March of this year. And I was like, er, it is now 2023, <laughs> Suzanne. Yep. All right, great. Sometimes I have to really Years think. are hard. Like, <laughs> it had just flipped over the calendar to a <laughs> right. new year when I started doing the research. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Skirt. <laughs> Do not keep your eye on it. I mean, it's probably still progressing. Like I said, he can appeal until his appeals are yeah. done. But yeah. They get like seventy five million, it seems. And I think if you pick something different to appeal on or yeah. nitpick on, you just get to have more. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I'm not super familiar with the appeals process. I'll admit. Because it stresses me out. <laughs> it basically. is a lot. It's a lot, especially when it's very clear who did this. Yeah. They did it for no reason, but they did it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that type of thing just gives me so much anxiety. I need Legion Miller to just explain legalese to me, and That's I'd be true. fine. It's true. I can figure it out, I think, if I try hard enough, maybe. Probably not. Yeah. It's like Greek to <laughs> me. Um, so, at one point, Brian actually spoke to Dateline about the murder. He said, quote, I felt like a nobody, and I felt like I'd be somebody if I did something, you know, big and bad, end quote. In regards to his motive at the time, 
He said that having a stutter as a teen made it very difficult for him to fit in and make friends. He did go on to say that he carries regret every day of his life for what he did. Too little, too late. Yeah. But okay. I um, mean, I guess I'm glad that you are capable. Like, I'm glad that you. I'm have glad that you remorse. have regret because like, apparently that other shows me that you have some kind of. Some kind of something in Some there. Some sort of person. A conscious, Some, if you will. There's a person in there somewhere, I right. think. Um, he also had a message that he wanted to give to other kids that may feel the way that he did. Quote, it's not too late for all the kids out there who are thinking about that stuff now. It's not too late, man, to get engaged in your life and try to improve your life and better your life. End quote. It does make me sad because my cousin had a stutter growing up. And so, like, I saw kind of firsthand, like, how mean kids can be and also how painful and frustrating it can be with people who have stutters and I just god I'm I'm too empathetic sometimes because like even listening to Brian talk to the police officers when it was so obvious he was stuttering more because he was nervous because he was lying about murdering his friend yeah but there was still that small part of me that was like and like it's unfortunate that he didn't heed his own message hindsight is 2020 right hopefully though you know what hopefully it's easier to look in the rear view and feel bad for yeah. something that you were very excited about beforehand i hope that he's genuine me too i hope that he truly does have remorse i don't know that i i don't i'm glad i don't have to ever weigh in on like a parole decision mm-hmm. i don't know how i feel about that i don't have an opinion regarding that honestly i don't know it makes me sad. Hopefully, though, if there are other people out there, kids, teens, all that kind of stuff, maybe there is something to be learned from these stories. Don't do these types of things. There's always Literally, somebody to talk to. Anything else would be <laughs> right. fine. Like, almost anything It'd else. It'd be A-okay by me. Anything but murder. Anything that's not violent in nature, maybe not try that. Right. Therapy is fantastic, folks. 10 out of 10 would recommend. <laughs> Okay, so before uh, we skedaddle, to cap things off a little bit, we are going to talk about mandatory life sentences and kind of what's happening right now within the court system. As you may or may not know, a mandatory minimum sentencing law requires judges to administer prison terms of a particular length for people convicted of certain federal and state crimes. So, like, in this case, the life sentence... Without parole. ...was mandatory Mm -hmm. for the charge in the state of Idaho. The goal of this was to promote uniformity across jurisdictions because we live in America and every single state has its own set of laws and every city has its own set of laws within the state and everything Everybody exists just does whatever they want. under the federal umbrella and none of it makes any fucking sense. <laughs> but they were attempting to make it so that it wouldn't matter how strict or lenient a judge was the law alone would determine your sentence that you received for the crime you committed. Sounds great in theory, right? That on paper sounds perfect. Right. I love it. In practice, not so much. Because of course not. There is kind of a huge movement happening right now, and from what I understand, it's picking up much more momentum. Uh, they are working towards reforming the sentencing practice. Per civilrights.org, which was a very informative website, if you are interested in learning more about this, I would highly recommend. They talk about how mandatory minimums undermine the judicial process and, quote, our nation's commitment to justice and fairness by preventing judges from taking into account the individual's background and the circumstances of the offense. I think, like, uh, 
when we covered trafficking, mm-hmm. a lot of those cases, I feel like, would kind of fit under this umbrella. Right. If you guys are kind of looking for an example of what they're talking about when it comes to, like, backgrounds and circumstances. You know, and we won't even get into the fact that these kinds of laws disproportionately impact people of color. They have caused our prison populations to soar, which leads to overcrowding, and of course leads to exorbitant costs to taxpayers. Mm. So there's definitely a lot of downsides to these mandatory sentencing laws. Right. Um, So you may remember that Tory's habeas corpus appeal cited the new sentencing decisions being made. The specific case they're referring to here is Miller v. Alabama, where the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that mandatory sentences of life without the option of parole are unconstitutional for juvenile offenders, even in cases of murder, ultimately ruling that the youth of the convict must be considered. Cliff's Notes version of this specific case, a 14-year-old boy was convicted of murder in 2003 after he and another boy set fire to a trailer in which the drug dealer that they had bought drugs from lived. The quote-unquote victim, yes, he died. He was not a great man. Not great. Um, Was named Cole Cannon. He fell asleep after they had all drank and smoked together. Mm -hmm. He awoke to Evan, the boy in question, replacing his wallet when the other boy hit him with a bat. Evan then took the bat and proceeded to beat Cole. The two boys later returned to the scene so they could destroy any and all evidence via setting the trailer on fire. Cole ended up passing away due to his severe injuries and smoke inhalation, and in October of 2006, both boys were given life sentences with no parole option. And that is young. Also, how crazy is it that this happened the same year? Yeah. I just think that's interesting. Like, a weird little side note. What was happening in 2006, y'all? <laughs> I wasn't having a great time, but I was, certainly wasn't murdering people I mean, I wasn't lighting things on fire and killing people, no, so I think, I'm, I think I did pretty good looking back on it. <laughs> right? In hi- right? Again, Woo. in hindsight, not so bad. Doing I good. was doing all right. <laughs> so in 2016, the Supreme Court made a decision that is now known as Montgomery v. Louisiana that mandatory life sentences without parole should not apply to persons convicted of murder committed as juveniles. And that this ruling should be applied retroactively. Mm. So the Supreme Court looked at Miller v. Alabama and was like, mm, something is rotten in Denmark. Yeah. And then they made, moved forward to make this decision, case law, all that kind of stuff. And then they ultimately applied it retroactively, which is the key here. Because that does go back. It does. Because then the court directed a review of cases where this could be applied. And there are between... 1,200 to 1,500 cases nationwide that are now under review. There, So you're telling me, Bree, that there are that many juveniles that committed murders and such where they're in jail without the possibility of parole? Are you really that surprised? Woo! Yes. I, I'm knowing I what I know. <laughs> Honestly, knowing what I know of our justice I'm really not. I'm appalled. I mean, I'm appalled also, but... Uh, I don't know what this is about me that I'm not surprised by that, but I was like, "Oh, there's only going to be 1,200 cases. That's the entire country." Um. Well, fun story. There were like three states, and it was like us, Michigan, and like one other one that was like, "No, yeah. thank you." <laughs> right. Yeah. I love that it's us. Yeah. Right. So, in case you guys didn't figure it out, these cases being reviewed includes 
Brian and Tori's cases because it fits. It fits the ruling. It fits the numbers. Fits what they're, at least to warrant a review. This isn't saying that anything's happening. This is something that's slow moving. It's not, it's going to take, the legal process is slow. It moves like Can you imagine the number of interns that just have to sit there and go through these case notes? God, that would be terrible. (laughs) That would be awful. I would rather gnaw this arm off right now. What I found really interesting is that this ruling did specifically cite that the reason that, basically the reason that they decided this was because it was due to juveniles' brain immaturity that there had to be an opportunity to consider mitigating factors and there should be the opportunity for later review with possible relief for inmates who had been reformed. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the goal. Or that's supposed to be the goal, right? Like, it's supposed to go and reform people who maybe... Made a bad choice or the wrong decision. I don't know that either one of these guys fit into that. Again, so I just read the transcripts of their videos, but to actually watch them... Oh, they were overjoyed. The... The... The sheer excitement in Brian's voice when he's exclaiming that he killed Cassie is something that I distinctly remember from listening to it years ago for the first time. Like, it's just kind of stuck in my brain. I find it secondhand appalling. It is. I, I've it's not, awful. Like I said, I've read the transcripts. Yeah. I haven't actually watched it. I have no interest because... I think these are the worst types of people. Oh my god, it's it's creepy. It's creepy, especially because it's restored, so mm. it kind of just like clips yeah. from one part to the next, and God only knows what wasn't able to be fixed well, or what other tapes they may have actually successfully burned. Part of part of reforming in prison is accepting. Your crime, and it's very clear to me that Tori is not accepting of his yeah. crime. He's just trying to be like, I didn't, I don't deserve this sentence. Technicality, technicality. Mm. At least Brian seems to show some regret. And if that's genuine, then maybe you know, maybe you'll get a chance to walk the streets as a free mm. person again. I don't know how I much not. I trust that. I don't trust you any farther I than really I can pick like you it. up and heave you, and that's not very far. You killed somebody because you got picked on. Like, I don't know. I got picked on, too. Also, I got picked on, like, crazy. She (laughs) was not even the person picking on them. So it's just like, what? She was your friend. I I just, I guess that's where I, like, lose their their narrative. I'm saying quote, unquote, narrative. Because it's all made up. It's all gross. (gasps) It's all terrible. And this, on this (laughs) this final lovely note, is (laughs) where we're going to leave you. Yeah. Darlings. Mm -hmm. We sure are. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um, if you can, just make sure you're following the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We're at Crime and Spirits Pod. You can also find us on Twitter at Crime Spirits Pod. No and. Um, if you'd like to follow us personally, you can find us on Instagram. I am Suze, not Susan. And I am Bree, B-R-E-E underscore, not the cheese. Um, and if you like what we're doing, please maybe just consider leaving us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts or whatever your preferred platform may be. It would really help us out. Um, we'd really appreciate it. We'll just so get found much. a little bit more organically and yeah. easier and it would be nice. It would be so great. And We'd also, like, it. we would just love to know 
you know, what your guys' thoughts and feelings are mm-hmm. about what we're doing. Absolutely. And if you do have any um, case suggestions, something specific you'd like us to cover, a drink you want us to make, whatever blows your hair back, we are here to serve you. We are here for you guys. You just let us know. Reach out. We love it. And one last thing before we leave each other today. Please, you guys, this is where I'm going to tell you to not be stupid. While you are enjoying your adult beverages with us, make sure that you're responsible about it. You know, Susan and I, we usually eat some pizza after we get done. Mm -hmm. Just kind of hang out on the couch, watch some funny videos on YouTube, or maybe some Dragula. So, like, do that. You know, don't get out. Go driving. If you have to, call an Uber. Order yourself some food. Drink a glass of water and just relax, my darlings. This is supposed to just be chill time. Right. (laughs) So, we thank you. We love you, and we appreciate you. Have a great rest of your day, and we will catch up with you guys soon. Bye. Bye.